0: Welcome to City on a Hills Podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, you're not used to this. The beginning of a sermon, you hear a little music in the background. Well, if you would look in your bulletins, Pastor Linda just said that it's not going to be an interactive that you're just a spectator. Not no, not today. So this will be a little interactive in the beginning. If you look in your bulletins, there's a piece of paper. Does somebody have one handy? I don't have one on me. There's a, there should be a blank piece of paper. Thank you. Right here. Here's what I would like you to do with this piece of paper. I would like you to fold it in half. I think everybody is capable of doing that. On the top of the piece of paper, with the music in the back, we're gonna, I'm going to give you a minute or two here. On the top of the paper, I want you, if you have a pen or if you refuse to write something down, just do it mentally. Do it in your head. If you could write down for me two, at least two, of the best things that have ever happened to you. Wait, 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 wait. Teacher, right? I have to make sure you know it, right? Let's be good students now. On the bottom of the piece of paper, I want you to write down, or if you're thinking again, two of the worst things that have ever happened to you. Everyone clear on that? All right. Go ahead. All right, we done? We're ready to roll? I have to say, even, even before we really get into the Word this morning, two weeks ago we started, I started out, if you weren't here, we talked about heaven. And I kind of gave a broad 20,000, 30,000 foot view of some of the questions that we have about heaven, some, some of the assurance we have what the Bible talks about, what we can look forward to, what we can anticipate. Last week, Pastor Tom came in and gave a message uh, following that up, he talked more about rewards. I uh, talked about money, or stewardship, we could say. That would probably be the best word to define that. Well, today is Palm Sunday. And I don't know if I would categorize this as being a part three. So in a sense, I, I didn't mind moving off that. But you will see by the end of the message, it does pertain. You could, in essence, really categorize it as the third part in the series. So I don't know. That's really up to you. If you would like, you don't have to. And not like you really care. Um, Kyle, where's Kyle's over there? As speaking to you as parents, I'd be remiss if I didn't say anything. What a calling that boy has on his life! Wow, and it's, it's our responsibility as the church, not just their responsibility, not just mine, but it's our responsibility as the church to foster that and to, and to help see that come to fruition. So I can tell you, as one of the pastors here, I want to be actively involved in that boy's life. When I went to see that show, I was blown away with his presence, how charismatic he is. I'm just blown away. So I'm looking forward to the future to see what God has in store for that young man. And I know there are more kids in this place that are also gifted. And this is a place where we want to build the next generation up. Isn't that exciting? All right, Palm Sunday, here we are. Let, I'm going to read. If you have your Bibles, we are not gonna, I'm not going to be jumping all over the place. We are going to be in the book of Romans. We are going to be in chapter 8. I'll get to the piece of paper in a little bit, don't worry. Chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. I will reference a couple of other passages, a story, but namely, this is going to be the passage that we look at, a very famous passage of scripture, not a passage of scripture that is usually, usually used by pastors uh, entering Holy Week. But let's read together. You know, we should say this, you should actually look at your neighbor, look to your right or look to your left and say, it's all good, right? We've all heard that phrase before, it's all good. Well, I hope by the end of this meeting, you say and realize it's all good. And here we go, starting at the beginning, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And I'm just going to open in a word of prayer. Lord, I ask that you would enliven those words. Lord, I ask that they would become a reality in our lives. Lord, help us to eradicate any fallacies any notions that are not correct about what the Apostle Paul is really saying. Lord, I ask that as people walk out, you would give them comfort, you would give them solace. Whatever is going on in their lives, whatever has happened in the past, Lord, let them look to their future. Let them see how bright it is. Let them see that you have orchestrated everything from the beginning of time and that you indeed are working all things, Lord, not just some things, not a few things. You are working all things in our lives together. Show us that by the power of your spirit. Amen. You know, Christianity, I would say, we talk a lot about joy, do we not? Christianity is... As a whole, as a faith, it is something that we are supposed to experience joy in the midst of circumstances, in the midst of arduous circumstances. It doesn't matter what we're encountering. Doesn't the Bible teach us that we are to experience joy? Let me ask you a question then. Why do things affect us so much? Why do things affect us so much? Why is my joy not relentless? you ever wonder that? Or maybe I'm the only person in this room that asks that question or those two questions. Why is my joy sometimes not relentless? Why can't I look at all the situations that are going on? Why can't I find him in the midst of it? Or why do I have trouble trusting sometimes? The passage I just read for you, and you look through the whole chapter of Romans 8, Romans 8 is about us living in a world that is marked by Suffering. Suffering. And here we are as we enter the Holy Week. Is there a, I mean, Palm Sunday as we move into this Holy Week and as we celebrate this week, Good Friday and Silent Saturday, and then we move into Easter. Has there ever been a time or an event in the history of this world where there was more suffering? I don't think so. And here is my thesis. Let me just be very upfront with you. My thesis this morning in looking at this passage is In talking about finding joy in suffering, Paul tells us that if we follow God, for followers of God, for Christians, we can be assured of a couple of things. One, that our bad things turn out for good. Let me say that again. Our bad things turn out for good. And number two, our good things can't be lost. They can't be lost. They can't be taken away. So that is my thesis this morning. And I know for some of you, as I, read, as I read this passage, some of you, I would say, are BP. You are before pain. And for some of you in here, maybe you, have, you went 15, 20, 30 years of your life on this planet, and you really haven't experienced any tragedies, any things that have really marked you. So when you hear these words, it's more theoretical. It's more something, yeah, I guess that makes sense, but you haven't really encountered this. There are others of you in this place that are IP. you like it? I have my... You you like this? No, you don't. IP in pain. There are some of you in this room right now that you're in the midst of a tumultuous situation. You are in the midst of real pain. And when you read these words, it makes sense to you. This is a lifeline to you. You want to reach out and grab it. And then finally, there are others of you in this room that are AP. You're after pain. That you've experienced this and you've come, you're have you on the other side of a very difficult situation. And I think that you know that at some point you'll probably go through a tough situation again. This passage for you is a treasure. A treasure. Something that you can hold on to for the rest of your days. Let me be honest with you as the speaker in reading this passage my entire life. There are times that I've wanted to rip the passage out of the Bible. I've wanted to rip the verse out. Especially the first part, 28. I know pastors aren't supposed to desecrate their Bibles. But that thought has run through my mind before. Because I read those words and some things that happen just don't make sense. And they're so difficult and they stretch us. But at other times, this verse has been a tremendous comfort to me. Tremendous comfort to look at events and to think and to know there is a God that is behind the scenes that is looking and he's shaping things for good. Understand this first. Ready? Right from the outset. All things happen to Christians. All things. I think there's a notion out there. I know none of you would think this way, but some people think I'm a Christian. I'm really not supposed to go through difficult times. I shouldn't experience what other, p- other people do out in the world. God, I love you. I come to church. I give you my money. I should not experience what other people experience out there. Friends that could not be further from the truth. And I'm sorry, but that is propagated. That is what... So you turn on the TV. I'm sorry. There are speakers out there that say that. And that is not biblical. That is not good theology. I love what Tim Keller says. Look at Tim Keller. He writes these words... One of the main reasons Christians are continually overthrown is not simply because bad things happen to them. At least half of their discouragement and despondency is due to their surprise at the bad things that happen to them. Wow, is that not good? That is rich. We are surprised that things happen. Why did that happen? Why did I get sick? Why did I lose my job? Lord, I love you. I come to church. I worship you. How could I have this happen to me in my life? Well, the Apostle Paul is telling us right here that whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, you can experience some pretty difficult times. You move on down in that chapter to verse, eight, uh, verse 35. And look what Paul says. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Why do, I, why do I bring this verse up? Because those are horrific things. Does anybody want to experience those things? Did anybody wake up this morning and say, Wow, you know what? I really hope I'm persecuted. On my way to church. When you go to work tomorrow. I hope one of my co-workers persecutes me. I don't think that's something you think about. Well Paul is saying here in this context. That although bad things do happen. God works them for good. This verse is the section I read before. 28 through 29. God does not promise us good circumstances. He promises us a good life. And there's a huge difference. We look to, I want a good marriage. I want a good job. I want I I don't know, whatever, my financial situation. Those are circumstances. He doesn't promise us that things will always go our way. He promises us a good life. And your life is going on for eternity. And we sometimes are so myopic, all we can look at is the next day or the next week. And he says, wow, Can you please open your eyes and understand that something is going on behind the scenes and I'm the orchestrator, I'm the conductor, and I know what will happen all the way one million years from now. Trust me. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying to us. I was thinking about it, a, a good text for this week. Think about the story of Jesus as he approaches the tomb of Lazarus. And the shortest verse in the Bible, what is it? Tell me. Jesus wept. There weren't many of you that said it. That's okay. Jesus wept. He approaches the tomb of Lazarus, and there he is weeping. And I think sometimes we look at the situation and we go, oh, well, Jesus is approaching this, and he's going, hey, you know what? No harm done The bad thing that happened, I'm going to make it good. I'm just, you know, I'm going to give glory to God and everything's now going to be good from this. That the bad thing that happened is now going to be good. No, that is not what is happening when he approaches that tomb. He is weeping because the bad thing that he is going to make good is bad. And a lot of times, that's what scholars say. I think our interpretation of that passage is a little wrong or the story. He is saying the bad thing that has happened here, I'm going to change it and make it good, but it's still bad because there is sickness and there's disease and there is ultimately death. But he knows what will happen some days later. He'll be taken to Golgotha. He'll be taken to the cross. Well, he will eradicate death and he will take sin in all of its evil and everything about that. He will take it on the cross. He will take it on his shoulders and he will remove it. What this passage is saying for us, and this is what you have to see, the promise is that in the totality of your existence, the totality of who you are, that your life, and we always, our minds, it's impossible for finite beings to go like so far into the distance, but he's promising us, the Apostle Paul's promising us that in the totality of things that we experience, God will make things Good for us. Totality. And I'm not talking a day. I'm not talking a week. I'm not talking a month. I'm not talking a year. We live in an instant gratification society. We want everything right now. Lord, I want you to change this right now. I'm sick. Change this. I lost my job. Give me that job, please, Lord. I want to find that spouse. Please, Lord, do it now. His time is not our time, His time is, His clock is different. One day it says a thousand years to him. You know that? Come on. His clock is totally different. But we want things done when we want them. He knows in his infinite wisdom what to do and when to do it. Now you're wondering, why do I have this table set up for you? Please tell me you're wondering that you're awake. <laughs> when I was a child, ready? It's story time. When I was a child, I distinctly remember... There was one occasion where Pastor Linda, my mother, was making a chocolate cake, a gluten-rich chocolate cake, right? And she stepped out of the room, and the ingredients were there. And I don't know what she was—I don't remember what she was doing, but she was out of the room, and all the ingredients were like—they were there, like on the counter. And there you you had some—you had the sugar, and you had some baking soda, and you had some baking powder— and you had some eggs, and you had some of those bittersweet little pieces of chocolate there, and some of you are getting hungry as we speak. Well, I did what most kids would do, right? I tried all the different ingredients. I wanted to try everything. So there I was. I took the sugar and uh, sugar. right sugar is supposed to taste good. It didn't taste too good. For some unknown reason, I really did try the baking powder and the baking soda, whatever I tried it. I didn't try the egg. But then I even, I'm looking at the bittersweet chocolate chips. They didn't even taste that good on their own. They really didn't. They were more bitter than they were sweet. I really didn't enjoy them. And so, I sat there thinking about it this week. And I said, oh my gosh. What a perfect illustration for what this text is actually telling us. Because you see, each of these ingredients on their own, does not taste good. They don't taste good at all. Nobody says, I just want to have the sugar. I just want to have the baking soda. But when you combine all of the ingredients together, and you have somebody that knows what the temperature should be in that oven, and the duration of the time they know how to cook it, what happens when it comes out is you get a beautiful chocolate cake. Yes, you get a chocolate cake. Some of you are clapping. I don't know why you're clapping. None of you are allowed to eat this. <laughs> no, seriously, though. When all of the ingredients go in together, you to- all the total of all of those ingredients are put in there, then you eat the chocolate cake, and it tastes good. Where am I taking this spiritually? There is someone... Who you may find this hard to believe is infinitely smarter than Pastor Linda and actually knows the exact time, knows the exact uh, temperature that you and I need to go through situations. And he is orchestrating things in your life and in my life. He knows the exact ingredients. And we look at it sometimes, we don't get it, we don't understand. I never want you to forget this. When you read that passage, think of this, in the totality of your life, when you look at the separate ingredients, when you look at them, it doesn't make sense and they don't taste good, but together, God is doing something marvelous. Do you really believe that? You can clap, but do you really believe that there is somebody that's doing that? What do you think? What what do we think Good Friday is? Good Friday was the worst thing that ever happened in the history of this world. But we call it Good Friday because of what happens three days later in the tomb, That the tomb is ultimately empty. We are not negating what happened on that Friday. Please understand this. It is a terrible event that happens on Good Friday. But in light of what God does, moving forward three days later, we then are able to call it Good Friday. And we look at the situations, look at the ingredients of your life. Think of the things that you have encountered I don't know, and in and, and looking at eternity, I was thinking about this, so I said, you know what, in looking at eternity, when will we ultimately know? Don't we always want to know? When will this change? When will good actually come out of this? When will I know? I can promise you there are a lot of, a lot of situations that you encounter on this side of the glass. Remember our fish from two weeks ago, the little fish in there? Well, we see dimly on this side of the glass, we don't know. I guarantee you there are a lot of situations you will not find out until you get on the other side. And we won't know. But he's promising us when we're in sickness that somebody that has cancer. He's promising for a Christian that good will ultimately come out of it. If you face financial ruin, he's promising that good will come out of it. He's not saying those things never happen. No, they do. And they happen to everybody. But there is a God who's on the throne who says, I am going to get elbow deep in the events of your life. And there will be a tapestry. There will be a canvas. There will be a piece of art prettier than the Mona Lisa. Prettier than anything Da Vinci could do. Prettier than any any artist. You name it. Prettier. More glorious. And that will be your life. And you'll see it and go, wow, I can't believe even this event and that event. That you were working behind the scenes and you knew what you were doing. That's who your God is. That's how much he loves you but what do we do? We have an enemy that's out there and the accuser of the brethren. He wants to steal from you. He wants to deceive you. He wants to rob from you and he ultimately wants to destroy you. And he wants, he's the accuser of the brethren because he is attacking us day and night with little lies that if, We can, If we can actually believe that it's God that is causing all these events to happen in our lives and he's not working behind the scenes and he really doesn't care, he wins. God is saying through the Apostle Paul, I have everything in the palm of my hands. It's all good. All of it. Everything that has ever happened. And that piece of paper, let's talk about the piece of paper. I can guarantee you, or I know from my own life, Look at those events that you put down. What were the best events in your life? I would wager to say that some of the best events that have happened in your life are a direct or indirect result of the worst things that have ever happened in your life. For example, I'll give you from my own life. I remember distinctly 15 years ago when I was sick, I had a serious digestive issue I didn't really know what to do. I remember distinctly, my parents had a meeting, a leadership meeting in the house. I remember sitting in a study in the room, and it was my first year teaching, and it was brutal. The stress that I encountered where I was, and I'm not really getting into that, but I just remember sitting there, it drove me to God because I had no answers. There was nothing else I could do, and I tell you, that was the, God didn't cause that. It was the catalyst, though, for what you see now. And listen, I'm far from perfect. You can ask my wife, far from perfect, but that was where I, God really used that event in my life. Where I would say it was one of the worst events and it's still something that I deal with that I don't like. It's not good, but God has used it for good to draw me closer to him. What about you? What are those events that you have down on your sheet? Are there any events, the the best events that have happened, the best things that have happened in your life that you would say are the direct or indirect result of some of the worst things that you've ever endured or encountered? I would wager to say yes. Isn't it amazing how that works? There is a God who knows. There is a God who cares. And friends, understand that when I said that all things Means all things. It doesn't mean all things but a few things. Let your mind wander. Think of the worst things that you have ever, that have ever happened to you. Every translation is saying that all things is everything, comprehensively, it's everything that has happened in the history of this world, in the history of humanity, What doesn't, what is not included in all things, nothing, everything is included, everything that has happened. It's an inseparable assurance. And let me say here, I have to say, what is this text not saying to us? Because people sometimes look at this, and I said it before, People can get disappointed and people can get disillusioned because they think God caused it. Well, God caused this to happen. And I know sometimes that's our first instinct. Something bad happens. God, why did you cause this in my life? I would say to you, people, look at things that happen in nature. Listen, we, when man fell in the garden, when man fell, all of creation fell as well. And all of creation, Romans tells us, is waiting and groaning for the day of its redemption. All of nature. But when we see nature has fallen to the curse just like us, that's why when there are earthquakes, famine, when you, uh, tornadoes, hurricanes, all laws of nature, that is not God causing it. Does God use it? Yes, God uses it. But God is not behind the scenes causing that to happen. I get so angry when I hear that. I don't understand that. But I think people get stalled sometimes And they get the wind knocked out of them because they think God is actually causing these events to happen. When it's just the laws of nature that are at work. And you know, I I have to reiterate this just to make sure so nobody is coming up and saying it to me. This does not mean that all things will work out for our pleasure, that everything will work out for our comfort. That's not the case here. We are not negating bad things. Tragedies will always be labeled as tragedies forever, always. But it does mean that God is in the midst of that tragedy and he's working for something bigger and greater beyond our comprehension, something that we, don't even, we can't even really fathom. And now I'm going to blow your mind. Go back, to, go back to 829. I want you to see something. There is a, there is a word that connects... 28 and 29, and it's the word for, and it says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love Him, to love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, and that word for, you should underline that word for, because it is linking the two verses. It is not talking about our circumstances again. It is talking about our over the totality of our life. And then he says in 29, For whom he foreknow, he also predestined. Underline predestined. You know what he is not saying in 29? And people get this wrong all the time. If you think this is not a big deal, but let's just get it right. He is not talking about a theology of predestination. That's what everyone says. It's not true. He is not talking about whether or not man has free will. He is When he uses the words predestined right here, he's using the word to comfort us. Something that is predestined, friends, is free. Fixed. It is immovable. He is saying if you love God, you can count on a promise that is absolutely fixed, that nothing can change it. You are predestined to have the first part of that happen, that any bad thing that happens, you can stand firm on the word of God and be not be moved and know that he is working it for your good in the long run. We get caught up sometimes. Is it predestination? What? Do I believe that? That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, you can stand firm on what I'm saying here to you today. And then moving on from there, he says, what's predestined is that we'll what? will be conformed to the image of his son. The Greek word there is meta, from where we get our word metamorphosis. Did you ever see that silly show? John Olford talks about it in in, uh, one of his books. Um, The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Did you ever see that show? If you did, I feel bad for you. Those shows, right? It's always so funny as a parent, right? The shows that you're subjected to. I want to say a lot about that, but I won't. But anyway, The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And what did they always say? When they would transform, they would say, It's Morphin Time. And interesting, but that's biblical. What they were saying on the show is biblical because when you think about this, What the Apostle Paul is saying is that we will... Something that is predestined is fixed. He's saying it is fixed. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt about our destiny. He's not talking about where you're going to spend eternity. That's fixed. He's saying, though, there is a process by which you will be transformed. There will be a metamorphosis and you will be transformed. A gradual progression into the image of God for all eternity. A gradual progression. Process, a gradual progression where you will be made into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus Christ has is transferred to us. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Everything. And sometimes we forget that we don't know what our inheritance is. Jesus transfers everything to us. Oh, that's good. At least it's good for me. And understand, listen, he suffered on that cross This week, when you think about it, he didn't suffer so you wouldn't suffer. He suffered on that cross so when you suffer, you'd be more like him. So you would become more like him. We would be transformed into his image. And then can I eradicate another problem we have here? That we might be the firstborn, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Some translations talks about adoption, right? That we would be adopted, Adoption in the ancient world was much different than it is in our world. We have the notion that, oh, okay, adoption. Like a young child gets adopted. No, no, no. What the Apostle Paul is talking about here is that you and I, when we get adopted, it means this. In the ancient world, only people, the kids weren't adopted. Older people were adopted. And when a man, a wealthy man had no heir, you know what he did? He would take one of his workers, usually one of his workers... And that individual would become his heir. And that individual would get everything. So the relationship, see this, the relationship would move from formality to intimacy. It would move from something that was temporary to something that was permanent. He is saying also that the person that was adopted that was poor, you now become rich because you are adopted by this wealthy man. Everything the wealthy man has is yours. And he's saying here as Christians every single thing that God has through his son and his salvific work on the cross is indeed yours. Are you taking it? Are you cashing in on that on what he has? What he's offering us in his word? That's the challenge and that's where the enemy with his diabolical schemes. That's where he's trying to take us out as Christians. But no, this promise is immovable. We should not be shaken. It doesn't, whatever you experience in this world, whatever you encounter, you know that he is there and he is working things for your good. But don't be moved by the clock. Don't sit there, oh, I wish it would happen now. I wish it would happen next week. Trust that He knows that He is molding and that He is sculpting and He is shaping you for something that we will see for all eternity. And it will be a story that you will be able to tell to everyone. How glorious is that? Not a long word this morning, but I'm I'm going to end with this. I'm going to show you a video now. I don't know, I've done this in the past where I've shown videos from stories behind some of the famous hymns. We need more, I'm sorry, music team, by the way, incredible, I'm talking to Megan this morning, if I could just boast on them, we, what, Monday night, till midnight, some of the musicians here till midnight, working their craft, blessing us as a church, we thank you for that, the time and dedication that you put in. But I, I would like to see more of the old hymns, I like some of the old hymns, Right? And there is one, I want you to, I want to play this video and I want you to see the story behind a well, a famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And I want you to think about the verse, the passage of scripture that we exegeted this morning, Romans 8, 28 into 29. Think about this story in light of what the Apostle Paul is saying. Think about how we have been blessed, generations of people have been blessed for hundreds of years. Think about this man's faithfulness. Think about his story. should know the story behind every song because for a lot of the great songs that we listen to and sing there are stories like this can you imagine hearing this song and imagine this man telling this story for everybody every christian for all eternity to think about here was a man that understood and is still understanding and still gets to see it in heaven where he is now that all things truly do work together for good And we as Christians living over 200 years later have been so blessed by these words. And as we come to the table this morning, as I said before, Jesus Christ did not go to the cross. He did not suffer so that you would not suffer. He went to the cross and suffered so that when we suffer, we'll be more like him, more like him and be transformed into his image. I pray that this week, this holy week, that you would be fixated, that you would meditate and ruminate on all that he has done for you. Lord, our words our words, don't do justice to how grateful and thankful we are, Lord, for what you did on that cross 2,000 years ago. Lord, we look forward to the day when we can see those nail-scarred hands. The only imperfection that will be there in heaven. We look forward to that day. Lord, we look forward to a day when we will know that all has been made well. Lord, it is indeed good. Help everyone in here, Lord, comfort those as only you can do by the power of your Spirit comfort those with those words, people that have been through very rough times, even recently are going through times that are very arduous, that you would show them that in the future, all things will indeed work out and be good. And it doesn't negate the pain and suffering that they're enduring right now, but to know that you are there and you see them and love them. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's
0: podcast.
1: For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.